It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to episode number 42 of the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is Wednesday the 1st of July and oh boy has it been a week. I've managed to sneak in two, review, uh, two reviews, two book launches within the space of less than a week and I've got another one coming up for two weeks time and I've forgotten what it's like to get into this situation with launches personally i think the last book i launched was maybe october 2019 um and yeah i've launched both the non-fiction book collaboration for authors uh which hit last week last friday which obviously people who listen to the podcast will know because that was the subject of last week's interview uh thank you sasha for filling in as host and just as a quick aside thank you everyone for purchase a copy anyone who helped promote it i was actually overwhelmed by the amount of people that helped share the book for me even without me asking them so Anyone who's listening to this, if you're a part of, of the launch itself, then thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Um, if you haven't yet left a review, then please, obviously, it's massively appreciated to jump over to Amazon uh, and Goodreads, wherever you bought the book, and just leave a little review for me so that, obviously, people know what to expect when they're buying the book and to know that it's of some kind of quality, which I hope it is. <laughs> and uh, as of the 1st of July today, what will be two days previous to you guys, um, when winter launches... Uh, when. <laughs> Wow, let's try that again. When Winter Comes uh, has officially launched. So I've now dropped the first episode of that serial that I've been sort of teasing and talking about and and, and playing around with a bit. And uh, yeah, interested to see how, how the launch kind of goes because uh, for people who aren't familiar, the idea is that I'm dropping a longer short story. So it's about 30,000 words, which is the opening of a, a much, much, much larger novel. And uh from that, I'm going to be doing sort of fortnightly, monthly releases and just keeping that story going and basically trying to find a way to keep a continual story within the horror genre itself because that's quite, it's quite difficult to do. So I'm playing around with it. Um, I'm fairly confident that it should do some good, though how good it does, I have no idea until sort of later on. Most of the models that I've seen the people doing this, it's not normally until book six, seven, until a box that's put together that you actually start seeing the results. So uh, it's a good way to get the story into the public eye and to sort of build that buzz um, and then when it all comes together at the end that's when I'm, I'm hoping to see the, the the results from the rest of this so it's a work in progress like I say book one dropped on Wednesday book two drops on the 15th of July and then book three drops on the 29th of July and then I'm going to be doing uh, one episode every month from then on until the story's finished and uh, it's, it's one of my it's one of my favorite stories I've written so far I think we all say that when we're launching a new project but uh, I think it generally is just because it's been a while since I've really got my teeth into a project uh, of my own and really sort of run hard with it. And uh, so far, the reviews have been fantastic, really, really encouraging words and people, so interested to see how that goes. Today's guest is the fantasy sensation of the Underrealm Universe series, Garrett Robinson. Uh, I spoke to Garrett last on a podcast way back in November 2016 on episode 15 of the Story Studio that I ran with Luke Condor. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for anyone that wants to do maybe a bit of pre, pre-work before the main work. <laughs> um, and it was it was great catching up with Garrett. I always I always find him really, really interesting to talk to. He's doing some some great things. And uh, I've been on his on his mailing list for about four, 
yeah, pretty much since before we were speaking, it's four or five years now. Um, and it, it's just, it's really interesting watching other people's journeys. And I think Garrett's a fantastic example of how to do things well. And uh, not only is he a YouTuber, he's also slaying it on Patreon and making that into a decent income every month. Um, he's just, he's just, he's just a fantastic guy. And we go into a whole broad arena of subjects within this conversation more than I, I could listen at the beginning, but there's, there's loads of meaty stuff coming up. So keep on listening. But some of the main points we address are, we talk about serializing fantasy, um, obviously specifically because I've been looking at doing a lot of serialization myself. I figured it was good to go to someone who was serializing way back in 2014, 2015, way back when, um, and, how he's taken that full journey from serializing early on to novelization to going back into the serial format. So that's quite an interesting point of conversation. We talk about making it through the hard times. So uh, Garrett confesses that the last couple of years have been a bit more difficult for him in terms of writing and trying to get the words in. And he just talks about how he dealt with that and how he came out the other side and managing to push through what is the, the sticky substance and emerging even stronger on the other side. So that's all fun. And we also go into changing the world of fiction. Obviously, uh, at the point of recording, there's a lot of turbulence in the global climate. If you include things like the pandemic, if you include things like the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you've got a lot of things going on that can bear down on people and, and affect them on, in, on many levels. And uh, we talk a bit more about that and how, how Garrett's sort of uh, approaching that arena of, of disturbance. No new patrons this week, but if you want to support the show for as little as $1 a month, then you can head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where you can get access to ad free early release episodes. Uh, you can get access to the great writers learn mini series uh, and basically jump into the SAT group, get a whole load of extra good stuff. So all you have to do is jump over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share and get involved and have some fun. And without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and the only Mr. Garrett Robinson. Enjoy. Garrett Robinson is the author of the number one best-selling Amazon fantasy series, The Nightblade Epic, a heroic fantasy saga with tens of thousands of avid readers. The epic is set in the land of Underrealm alongside a second best-selling series, The Academy Journals. His imprint, Legacy Books, has published over two dozen fantasy titles, showcasing fresh writing talent in the genre. Garrett is also a filmmaker and successful YouTube talent with brand new vlogs hitting his channel every Friday. Garrett, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Daniel. It's good to be back. No, it's, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. I think we last spoke in November of 2016 on the story studio that I used to run with uh, Luke Condor. You were yeah. episode 15. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to check out where you were four years ago and hear a very uh, interesting conversation about Hamilton, which interestingly, uh, since the last interview in which you basically advised me only, well, no, in the last interview, I had only listened to the first three tracks of the album okay. and you convinced me to listen to the entire album ahead of me watching the show. Um, mm -hmm. And I can safely say thank you for that advice because I w ended up watching the show in 2018 and there was definitely some truth in, uh, I don't know if you remember much of that conversation, but you were basically saying I probably that, advised you. I probably said you want to know the words yes. before you go see it live. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And what a show it was. Dear yeah. God. I mean, did you have you have you seen it now? Because I don't think you had at the time. I have. Yes, I, I took uh, my wife on our 10 year anniversary. I took her to New York for uh, a like five day vacation four or five day vacation. Anyway, and on our actual 10 year anniversary, the night of I took her to see Hamilton and we just Boy, it's real good. It's a very good show. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Uh, I think you probably get a thousand brownie points for romance in that scenario. That sounds perfect. 
And yeah, a little bit. She she was just sort of like you know. I here's the thing. My wife is is a is a constant uh, supporter. She's always constantly doing little things to help, and I am much more of the big dramatic gesture. So I mm. try like at least once a month to do something like big and out there and then like you know once or twice a year just do something like extravagant and over the top and when when i surprised her with a with a week-long vacation you know and like had our kids taken care of and had the you know everything paid for already she was just sort of like i don't know what to do with this i'm overwhelmed (laughs) so i felt good about that one personally you know yeah i don't think you can get much better on that one uh but like i said that was that was four years ago so if it doesn't feel like it's been well nearly four years since you last spoke but yeah. um just to familiarize my audience with who you are are you happy to give a little bit of an overview of uh, how your writing journey began and kind of how you've gotten to the point where you're at with your writing today yeah totally so uh, as you mentioned in your uh intro i was a, f- a am a filmmaker was a more avid filmmaker from the years of about 2009 2010 up until 2013. And I was working in independent film and I was sometimes taking nine to five jobs for a little bit more of a stable income because independent film is hard. And I was running into this situation constantly where what I really wanted to make was Lord of the Rings. I just wanted to make Lord of the Rings and you can't make Lord of the Rings until you've already made a bunch of other stuff that's not Lord of the Rings. And it was a a bit of a constant problem for me. And, uh, and it's just hard to become a director in general, because that's what I like doing. You know, I, I don't actually particularly love screenwriting. Um, I, I mean, I'll do it. But to me, it's like a vehicle for directing. Mm. And one day, a friend of mine said, you should take your all your, you know, story ideas, these fantasy movies that you want to make one day, and you should turn them into scripts. Uh, sorry, turn them into novels and and publish them. And to me, that seemed like a whole new industry to get into, right? Like now you got to get past the publishing gatekeepers and this, that, and he introduced me to self-publishing. So I started in 2012, at the very tail end of 2012. I think my first book actually came out on December 20th, 2012. So I barely snuck into that year. And then through 2013, I just started publishing kind of every script that I'd ever written, uh, which were all, you know, back in that, in those days, I was writing scripts that were like relatively low budget productions. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of took the stories that I'd already figured out and turned them into these little uh, weird sort of quasi sci-fi thrillers and like a zombie horror comedy and that sort of thing, just to sort of get my bearings on writing novels. Cause I'd, I'd been a writer, you know, like when I was a teenager, but then I discovered filmmaking and sort of fell in love with that. So I hadn't really flexed my writing muscles in a while. And then in 2014, I was like, okay, now I'm going to start writing the stories that I really want to turn into movies one day. And I started writing books set in a fantasy world called Underrealm. And uh, they kind of took off towards the tail end of 2015. And in 2016, when we talked, I was in the middle of my best year ever. Uh, and then I've just kept it going since then. Uh, by now, I've written and published 11 Underrealm novels. I've published a collection of short stories in Underrealm that were written by seven different authors. Uh, I, I did write a couple of the stories, but then I went and I went out and found other talent and put together the whole collection. And then just in April of this year, I published the first full Underrealm novel by another author. Uh, That one's called A Cloak of Red by Brenna Gawain. It's fantastic. And she's working on the sequel. And we've got a couple of other authors who are working on other series to be published in the future. So that's kind of where things are at right now. 
So there's a lot going on there. I mean, yeah. I kind of, I, <laughs> I want to hit, um, obviously Under Realm is your baby. It's your, it's your everything from the sounds of it in terms of uh, putting out the writing and building this world. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to go back a little bit to 2012, 2014. You said that you obviously turned a lot of scripts into uh, workable pieces that you were playing around with. Can you talk a little bit how you went through the process of almost experimenting with different types of genres and stories before you settled on the idea of um, going full front with Underrealm? I went through the process poorly. No, um, I like, I, I just, <laughs> I took, I had, so I had these stories um, and, uh, you know, over, over the time I was practicing, I'd, I'd actually gotten decent at screenwriting. I was part of a, a filmmaker's workshop in Hollywood that was just very cool and lots of really good, helpful people. And, um, you know, had sort of like honed my craft and turned, turned my stories into, you know, really tight stories that uh, could be filmed easily and like really communicated to a prospective uh, uh, filmmaker. Um, when I started trying to sit down and write them in prose, I noticed a lot of my a lot of my strengths, but also a lot of my big, big weaknesses, you know, description isn't a huge part of screenwriting. It just isn't. You, especially if you're writing scripts that other people are going to work on, or, or even that you're going to direct yourself in the future, you're generally, you generally already have a picture in your mind for what everything should look like. What you're most focused on is the mechanics of the story itself and the dialogue. And so my description sucked. It just was bad. In my first couple of books, it's just bad. It wasn't good at all. I was really good at establishing on paper the sort of um, the anatomy of the scene, the, the blocking of the set and where everything was, but there was no there was no personality. There was no emotion. There was, there was no sensorial perception of what everything smelled like and what it felt like to be in the space and everything. Um, and so, uh, you know, my, my dialogue, I'll, I'll say from screenwriting to novel writing, I feel like my dialogue is like one of my strongest things. Uh, and I can, I can really play around with it and I can play with different styles and everything like that. But it really was a process, you know, when I first started writing, actually, so when I first started writing, I tried to write a fantasy novel, a fantasy novel that was based on a film idea or a series idea that had been in my head for years and years and years. And I sat down and I tried to write it and I just knew it wasn't good enough. And I'd never, I'd never written a screenplay for it. And so I just knew reading back what I had written after I wrote like 20,000 words, I was like, this is just not good enough for me to ever do anything with. So that's when I went for easier, um, easier things. Cause I, me personally, I just do find contemporary stuff a lot easier than fantasy. Mm. Um, and so it allowed me to break my teeth on finding my style without worrying too much about also establishing world building and also establishing what sort of style my epic fantasy should be written in. You know, I didn't have to do a special style for a, a contemporary zombie horror. Everybody speaks like they were existing in the year 2013 just like i you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. there didn't have to be a particular rules for dialogue or or world building i could set it in the neighborhood i was living in at the time and and i did so hmm. that that's sort of why it made more sense for me to take the scripts that i'd written and turn them into turn them into novels and start putting that out and that started to gain a following and once I felt like I had the the chops as a writer, just the basic understanding of my craft, 
then I went and I tried to write fantasy again, and suddenly I really felt like it was working. And then everything took off and the book started selling. So then I really felt like it was working. I love it. And the reason that I, I kind of wanted to get the highlight there is because I've actually spoken to quite a few authors recently who are, you know, still fresh, say still, they're fresh into the game at the minute. And there seems to be an urgency with a lot of new writers to nail it right first time to make that first book really <laughs> game to get everything right. Yeah, I, I know, exactly. Um, and obviously with you, there was a, there was that um, period in which you, you were aware that you were learning, you were doing all this stuff, you were still trying to learn the craft. And for you, that took two years. For some people, that takes five, ten years. And I think yeah. there is just worth highlighting that for a lot of people who are new into this kind of game, you do really have to spend some time to find to find what it is that you love, what it is that you want to write, and to really nail down that craft. I mean, I've spoken about it before where I, I had a conversation uh, with someone a couple of months ago where I've realized that for the past four and a half, five years that I've been writing, I've been experimenting. And it's only been in the last few months that I've really started to nail down and go, okay, this is what I want to do. And when yeah. you find that, it becomes a lot easier to write and you really find, uh, I guess, a more solid foundation as you're, as you're trying to get the books done. And even that is, you know, not not even to mention literally when I was, a, like I said, I wanted to write when I was a teenager and in school. That, so none of this includes literally millions of words of fan fiction <laughs> that I wrote in high school that is never going to see the light of day and, and sh- never should because it's awful. Like <laughs> you have to get out so many bad words before you really start figuring out, uh, you know, how, how to put good words down on paper. And I... Some uh, I've realized that that statement can sound discouraging to some people that I wrote millions of words. I also was writing fan fiction and I was a teenager. I wasn't necessarily applying myself and learning as much as I should. So if you're a grown person right now and you want to be a writer, don't assume that it's going to take you millions of words before you no. can ever put down anything. But make sure that you are putting in the time, putting in the craft and and sitting down and analyzing what you do and being like, okay, let's be real honest with ourselves. Is this good enough? And start soliciting other people's opinions because, you know, that's, that, that is going to matter at some point. Do you ever worry that your wife is going to do a Christopher Tolkien and publish some of your old fan heart post, posthumously? Because <laughs> that, that would be magic when you, when you know you've got this successful string of books <laughs> and, then, and then your wife brings out this old stuff from when you were a kid. I don't know if that stuff still exists. I, That's I never, the scary I, part. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know that, like, I never put any of it online. Um, and I'm pretty sure the physical stuff that I printed out and sort of like kept in a box, I'm pretty sure that box got thrown away. And both of my parents have passed. And since like, that means that if it's not in my house, it's probably probably doesn't exist anymore, and it definitely isn't in my house. So I'm I'm very hopeful that that chapter of my life is just is just gone. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so going back to Nightblade, you first began writing that series episodically, and what I found interesting, and one of the reasons that obviously I reached out to you is that you've you spent a few years going into the novel format and writing these bigger works. But you now seem to be jumping back into the the serialization, the episodic structure with the new releases of your books. Can you talk a little bit more about that journey and what made you decide to start doing that again now? Well, um, when I got into self-publishing in the first place, I listened to the show that was uh, once called the Self-Publishing Podcast um, and is now called, oh shoot, what do they call it? Do you know Uh, the the show? Story Studio. Story Studio, thank you very much. Um, So they 
that was Johnny, Sean, and Dave, uh, Johnny B. Truant, Sean Platt, and David W. Wright. And they had made a living on serialized storytelling. And this was uh, back in the, you know, the, the halcyon early days of Amazon, and it was all the Wild <laughs> West, and nobody knew what anything was. So... <laughs> These guys were taking uh, book ideas and they were turning them into episode or seasons of, of television and breaking them apart into episodes and writing and publishing them that way. And Amazon didn't punish them for that. Like that's, that's really what it came to, and still comes down to is back then Amazon didn't punish you for doing that. And it's a great way to tell stories. It's there, you know, we're, we're very much in a binge culture right now, and I love to binge me a show, <laughs> but I also love event television. I love a show that only comes out once a week, and I'm tuning in at the time that the episode comes out. You know, um, Game of Thrones was probably, you know, probably the last big event uh, mm. television thing. Um, and, you know, it was, it was always crazy talking each week about what had happened on Game of Thrones. And then it got, you know, I didn't it, like the it last happens. season. No. Let's, it just, <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> it, it just, we'll just move swiftly on. Um, but, but still, if you follow, um, for example, a lot of uh, black creatives on Twitter, uh, HBO has Insecure, and that's still going. And they are talking about Insecure every week. And I don't watch that show because I dropped my HBO subscription. Game of Thrones <laughs> did its thing. Um, but they every single week. I'm finding out what's happening on Insecure because they're talking about it. They go in and they're like, oh my God, can you believe what happened this week? And da, 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 da. And I, I, I just really like that. So when I started out uh, with Under, I mean, okay, everything that I wrote before Underrealm was already serialized. And when I started out in Underrealm, I was just like, let me just keep doing what's already working. Let me just keep going with what I have been doing the whole time. And I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and then Amazon started punishing uh, us for writing serialized. Uh, it, it doesn't work to sell 99 cent eBooks, uh, even if you're putting them out every single week. Um, you just, you, you don't make enough and Amazon doesn't promote you enough. And having that many titles doesn't help uh, your author ranking when all those titles are 99 cent eBooks. And you can't do the thing that we did of put out six episodes at 99 cents and then put out a full book collection at 4.99 because your most passionate fans are going to you know buy the 99 cent episodes but they're not going to buy the 4.99 book and so you're ranking tanks and it's like amazon just actively punishes you for writing in a serialized format and so in uh starting in 2015 i abandoned it and my fourth underrealm book i just wrote as a novel and it just came out as a novel. There were never any episodes for it. Nothing. And How did that affect I, the actual release stats compared to some of the other releases? It's really hard to tell because I also got three book bubs that year. <laughs> 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 so I have no idea what would have happened if that hadn't happened. Actually, one reason that the fourth book... one one one. Huh. So I put out the first three books and I put out a box set of the first three books and then I got a book bub for it. And so I scheduled a pre-order for the fourth book, even though it wasn't done yet, because I was like, oh, shit, I need an upsell. Like, I'm about mm. to sell however many copies of this 99-cent box set. I need to push them to a book four that costs $5. So I put up the pre-order, and right at the back of the box set, it was like, 
you've gotten this box set for a buck. If you like the story and you want to keep reading, go buy book four. And I made way more money on book four that, uh, from that book bub than I did from the box set. You know, that's, that's how book bub works. If you get a book bub on a standalone book, you're going to make your money back. If you get a book bub on a first book in a series, that's a long series with a lot more books for them to read and get the KU pages from, you're going to make way more money. <laughs> so, um, so then, yeah, that book and then the next three books that I published in 2016, those all, uh, those all came out as just regular novels. And then I did, uh, two more books in the Nightblade epic series. And then I did two books in uh, my third series, Tales of the Wanderer. And then I kind of got sidetracked. Uh, we were, uh, we, we briefly chatted about this, but I didn't publish a book last year in all of 2019. And by the time the end of the year was rolling around, I was feeling pretty down on myself. Now I hadn't been I, I hadn't not been doing anything in 2019. I had been working on turning all of my books into audiobooks, but it wasn't happening fast enough. And I, I just wasn't writing. I wasn't writing anything for pretty much the whole year. And it just felt like crap. So um, I actually had a very brutal conversation with myself. Um, and I, I made a YouTube video about this. It came out uh, on the first week, in, in the first week of May. And I basically was just like, Hey, dude, either get serious about this and get back to being an author or just go get a fucking nine to five job. Like, mm. like there's no point in going through all this stress and all of the, you know, extra hard work and like all of this thing and just completely being non-productive. Like it's worth all of the stress and all of the craziness of this full-time lifestyle if you're putting out books and if you are being an author, but why go through all that stress to not even be creating what you want to create? Mm -hmm. um, and so I came up with a whole new plan and I took the third book in the Tales of the Wanderer series and I said, we're going to start putting this together because um, I, I had a lot of first draft for it uh, that I had worked on in 2018 and that I'd sort of like tinkered with in 2019 throughout the year. And I said, we're going to take what we've got so far we're going to turn it into episodes. We're going to edit them and we're going to start publishing them every single Friday to Patreon. So I have, I have a Patreon. I've had it for a number of years. And now any supporter of mine on Patreon, every Friday they get a new episode of Underrealm. And it's around, it's between four and six chapters and it's around 10,000 words. Although so far every single episode has been closer to 18,000 words because <laughs> I have a problem with overwriting, but that's, that's just a thing. Um, <laughs> and so that is, that is my plan for the foreseeable future as I'm going to take every book, I'm going to break it into episodes and it's going to be the same number of episodes per book. And it might, that the episode length might vary slightly, but every Friday they get a new installment of Under Realm. And when I have completed a novel, then I will take those episodes that have only gone out to my patrons. I will put them all together. I will edit it into a full, you know, novel experience. And then that will go to Amazon. I'm still not going to publish serialized episodes to Amazon because the algorithm just hammers you for doing that. <laughs> but I can, I can do that to my Patreon. And then when I put the book out, I can say, 
Thank you so much to my patrons. They made this book possible. Also, mm. they got to read it before you did. And I'm writing the next one, and that's going up on my Patreon right now. So if you want to read the next book, go to my Patreon. And if even if you're just putting in a buck a month, you're going to get 10,000 new words of story every single Friday. And that becomes better and better the longer that I do it. Because five books from now, if somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, if somebody discovers me newly and just discovers that I'm doing this thing on Patreon, they can go back and they can read six books of episodes that are all just still there. And they can just go find the whole list of every Patreon post and they can download all the episodes and churn through them as much as they want for just a dollar a month. And I'm happy to let them do that because they're going to keep supporting me in the future. You know, mm -hmm. if, if I could have, if I could have a $5,000 a month income from Patreon, I wouldn't even need Amazon, you know, I would yeah. still like Amazon. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't need it. You, you just, you're, you're supporting yourself with an audience that you more or less own and you're not reliant on the algorithm or advertising or anything like that. And that's mm -hmm. my, that's my perfect dream that I'm chasing right now. We're definitely going to jump into uh, serialization because I think we briefly uh, mentioned conflicting ideas in our email exchange but before we get into that i uh i do just want to jump back a little bit because I'm, I'm very very interested in um not digging too deeply into obviously the 2019 where you know you were you were unproductive and you were um slowing down on the writing and you, you weren't getting the things done that you wanted to what i what i do want to ask is what what did that conversation with yourself look like what was that self-talk if you could sum that up in sort of like a little brief brief way of how how you managed to look yourself in the mirror and go okay you know, let's get serious. Let's do this. Cause that's a, I think that's a, a point that a lot of people in writing hit regularly. Um, yeah. particularly if you're not a full-time author and your income doesn't depend on it. Uh, but I, I, I know that I've been there myself a thousand times and I'm sure that a lot of my writer friends have as well. So what, what did that look like for you and how, how did you bring yourself around from that? Cause that sounded like quite a big one for you. It was. Um, so one thing that I've always been a big, uh, proponent of and, and actually like had good self-discipline about uh, very few things in my life. I have good self-discipline about, but this is one of them. And it is, uh, data. I keep data on myself. I keep, I, tr I track my production and I track it very, uh, what's the word granularly, you know, I track it mm. to, to a small degree. Um, and so it was, it, I, I basically uh, sat down and I looked at my spreadsheets of what I'd been working on and how many hours I'd put into this and how many hours I'd put into that and so on. And I, I was like, Garrett, how many, how many hours of work did you put in last week? You, the full-time author, how many hours of work did you put in last week? Um, and I was like, my, the answer was nine nine hours of work in an entire week. That's less than two hours a day. And of that, um, only uh, four, I, I forget what the exact numbers were, but it was basically like only four were on the audio book I was working on. None of it was on writing and the rest of it was on a YouTube, a couple of YouTube videos. And like, that's not good. And then, and then it was like, okay, so what did you do last week? Because really, Nobody does nothing. Um, at, at least I don't. Uh, I, I sleep and I scroll social media, but I don't do nothing. And so it was like, you've been, you know, like, let's look at your phone. How much time have you been spending on social media? Yeah, like that, look at that number. And it was, you know, more than 20 hours of open time on social media. And if I'm 
if I'm putting in 40 hours of work, I don't care how much time is on social media. But if I'm putting in nine hours of work and over 20 on social media, well, then something is fucking wrong. <laughs> like, and you can't, when you're looking at data, I mean, it depends on data and data can be interpreted and, and it can be skewed by opinion and everything like that. But when I was looking at data that I myself had tracked and knew was accurate, there is no excuse. I, we're all at least I am, we're really good at making excuses for ourselves. Well, this day the thing happened and then that day I'm expecting a call and family's in town and yada, yada, yada. But when I just sat down and looked at it, I was like, hey, you, you can't, you can't, I mean, you literally can't do this. You can continue to operate this way, but you can't forever. You are going to end up needing to go needing to go get a nine to five job so do you want to do that i mean there's lots of cool companies around you you've got friends who work at these great places and your wife works at this cool company and you could go work with her her boss is great isn't he and it was like yes they are all great and they're all cool and her boss is awesome and i don't want to do that i don't i actually don't um and then it was like well okay then get fucking busy. You, you can't continue this way. Um, you, you can't have the, your family relying on you and you know, your own expectations for what you want to achieve and the authors that you want to work with. You can't have the things that you want if you don't you know, at least try. And if I try and I don't make it, that's one thing. I, 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 I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of beating yourself up or saying that you're an asshole because you actually tried and you failed. That's not on you. What was happening with me was I wasn't even putting in, in the effort. I wasn't even putting in the time. And so I started. And in May, I had my best and most productive month that I've ever had. And June looks like it's going to be, June's been a little bit rockier, but I am trying. And it's still going to be better than any month that I had in all of 2019 and any month before May this year. And then I can come back really strong again in July, you know, and as long as I am there putting in the effort, putting in the time, if I, if I fall a little bit short of my goals and I don't quite hit the numbers that I want to and everything like that, well, that's when you, that's when you turn around and be gentle with yourself and be like, Hey, but like you fucking gave it all your all. And like, okay, this thing and that ha thing happened and that's okay. It's when you're just not even really acting like it's something that you want that I had to, I had to look at myself and be like, hey man, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Mm. Yeah. It, it's difficult. And I think, I, I mean, I had the conversation literally, uh, I believe, I think I'm pretty sure it was last night with a, with a friend of mine where I was talking about how much I envied the fact that she had a nine to five job because <laughs> as, as a full-time author, yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people do see how constantly switched on you have to be because you, yeah. you, you never feel like you're doing enough. 
yeah. you always feel like you could do a bit more and you should do a bit more. And it's so hard to switch off. And uh, I, I actually put it in um, the intro to the most recent episode of uh, Great Writer Share, which hasn't yet launched, but weirdly because of time traveling and when we record this episode, will have launched, <laughs> um, that I ended up taking a three-day solid break because I was basically just pushing myself so hard but not really achieving anything because I was, I was in my head wanting to do so much but because I was trying to do so much, I was overwhelming myself. And yeah. then you have that thought where you're like, if I was just in a nine to five job, I could just leave my work at the door, come home. And then, and then what would I do? Because, you know, we're in a pandemic at the minute. I, I live alone uh, apart from the days where I, I have my son. And right. on the days where I don't have him, it's actually like, well, what else is there to do but work? Right. <laughs> but then I also know that when I was in a nine to five job, when I was outside of work, I was writing and I was doing all of this stuff. So I don't think there's a part of me that can settle and not do this. Yeah. So the, the reality of me doing a nine to five and then having downtime just won't exist because I'll, I'll likely find somewhere else to create and yeah. living in that mental space where you're constantly switched on, you know, mornings, the minute you wake up, you're thinking about a project, you've got your afternoons, you've got, you've got your evenings where you're chilling out, but then something pops up or you're speaking to someone and then it's, it, it's hard. And I mean, I've, I've had periods as well um, where, you know, I've, I've had weeks where I've been in a very similar situation and just, barely done anything because i think i I don't know what it is there's like a sense of complacency about it that you kind of just get comfy but at the same time putting in the work i i I don't know i can't explain it but it it comes in in such waves um and some can be far more severe than the other but it's i I think it's admirable when you can get yourself to the point that you can pull yourself out of that give yourself that serious talk and was it a case of the next day you were right back at it where you wanted to be, or did you slowly increase your way back into, into your normal routine? Um, I, I got, I got where I wanted to be actually very quickly. Uh, that video came out and uh, on a Friday, I forget exactly which one, but the first, I think it was the first Friday of May. And over that weekend, um, like the first thing I told myself was, okay, you have been behind on this audiobook that belong like this wasn't my audiobook this was the audiobook for the other author that we had published that i mentioned before mm. and um and it was the book had already come out and the audiobook all that was waiting to publish the audiobook was me finishing my work on it and i said okay you have this weekend to finish that audiobook and if it's not done by monday you are going to put it aside and you're going to work on your own next book and i made that de- declaration publicly to my audience and in my youtube video so that they would know what the stakes were and so that i like they would know that if the audiobook wasn't published by monday i had fucked you know with the release schedule of an author I was publishing. And that was, that was gruesome enough that over that weekend I put in 16 hours, I think it was 16 hours of work on that audiobook Cause I was just like, I can't, I can't face up to anybody if I make that public declaration and then do it. And, and that, that public accountability for me has been a big thing in, in the month since. And I can go in and I can be like, guys, I'm having real trouble, um, you know, forcing myself to sit down in the chair and do what I actually know I need to do. And I have cultivated this audience in my discord server where they will be like, okay, sit down and do it. I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting here and I'm waiting for you to start stream. Like do it, Garrett right now, get on. And I'm like, oh shit, Lauren, Lauren fucking wants me on stream. And so I start the stream up and I start going and everything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, that's, that is good for me. Um, it, 
I do. Uh, how do I put this? Writing is not actually fun to me. Having written is fun to me. And that is one reason that it can be hard for me to stick to schedules and stick to my production is because there are a lot of other things that are more interesting at the time, mm. even though nothing is more interesting than putting a book out and getting re uh, reviews and hearing from readers about how much they love the story. That is the best thing in the world. But sitting down and writing the next chapter is not that. It is what leads to that but it's not that. So that is one big factor for me is that I have to remind myself that what I really want doesn't happen if I don't do the steps that lead to it. And then another thing is that's, that's on the one side, right? Is like, there are more, there are other things that are more interesting and fun in the moment than the things that are going to lead to long-term success. Mm. And then the other thing is like, when the world is like it is right now and this year and has been for the last few years, um, it, uh, we are not designed to handle this. We're just not as, as human beings, we're not designed to go through the level of constant low level background stress that is a part of our everyday lives. And that makes you mentally less prepared and less capable to do stuff that would be a lot easier. Like if I had gone through all of the exact same situations and all of the exact same scenarios and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm dedicating myself, I'm serializing and I'm writing and everything like that. And the world was now like it was back in 2015. Oh my God, I'd be unstoppable. I'd be a freaking machine. I'd be dominating. And you know how I know? Because that's what happened in 2015. <laughs> and the world went so much to crap after that, that I forgot all the lessons that I'd learned. I lost my self-discipline. I, I had like, you know, everything in all aspects of the world and my life went all to hell. And it took, it took years for me to get back and look back at 2015 and be like, that was such a great time. And it led to such an amazing year. What was I doing then? Oh shit. I was actually really smart back then. Let's go back to that. Mm. You know? Yeah, no, it's amazing how much the social climate can affect your work because oh, yeah. obviously without, I'm, I'm going to remain nonpartisan in, at this particular point on the, on the podcast, but there's- Am there's I allowed lot, not to? You say, say whatever you want, it's completely up to you. Um, but there's so much obviously going on in the world with the pandemic, with Black Lives Matter and everything else that, that's happening around that, that there's such a, like you say, there's such a discomfort right now that, I mean, I've spent mornings- spending at least an hour on youtube just catching up and just finding out what happened over the past night <laughs> when yeah. i've been asleep because every day is a fast news day at the minute and there yeah. is an element of um i mean th there is so much injustice currently going on health-wise and you know socially and everything else that yeah it does it has affected my outputs a lot because i've that that's weighed in the back of my mind is you you, you find yourself writing and going how can you live in such a an unjust world when right. You know, if social media wasn't around, if if things were back years and years ago when the news was a lot smaller and your world was a lot smaller, like you say, these things would be a lot easier to to ignore. But obviously, ignorance isn't the way forward as we go here. Um, of course. But yeah, I, I don't think enough people. I think initially when the pandemic hit, a lot of people I knew were saying they're struggling with adjusting to the new the new normal, and I get that. But then, yeah, everything else blossoms off, and, and it's just a constant state of unrest. Yeah, yeah, constantly, and. And it, 
you 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 have a very i mean again i i always i'm trying to shake this bad habit of saying you when i mean, really mean <laughs> me and if other people relate to it that's great i'm not trying to speak for anybody else though yeah um but i i do have what i think is an understandable thought process of how is what i'm how does what i'm doing matter uh mm. in in the face of everything you know what what does this matter compared to um, the protests or compared to fixing our, well, I mean, fixing our healthcare system in general, but especially fixing the way that uh, this pandemic is being responded to? How does, how does writing this book matter or help? And we, we have to remind ourselves that, well, on one hand, culture and art is important. It is good and, and everything of the human experience matters, but also doing what we can to enhance ourselves and our own stability and survival is what enables us to contribute elsewhere. I, you know, if I, if Legacy Books becomes a much bigger publishing company and we can start paying authors, you know, big advances and really start expanding the world and, you know, like, get more character art and world art and everything. That means that we have got energy, meaning money, that we can go out and specifically find, okay, like I want five new black authors this month and I want mm -hmm. them to be writing the next series of fantasy novels that are starring all black characters and nothing, you know, like not that nothing bad is going to happen to them, but like we are not going to see any discrimination in these series whatsoever. These are all about cool adventures and they are going to be fighting dragons, not <laughs> fantasy versions of cops because that's frick, that's just upsetting I'd, mm. like why should we have to face that in our fiction i want i want to go out and provide some escapist fantasy for people who don't get that often enough and i want them to just like i and, and i want to give them a lot of money to do it so they can just focus on it and like make their lives better and i want to donate to this cause and i want our artists to be you know coming from uh backgrounds that that like don't normally get to do this sort of thing and none of that can happen if we can't if we can't you know do if we don't spend the time building ourselves up into what we want to be doing and, and the things that we want to be achieving on a personal level, you start with yourself, you get yourself, you put on your own oxygen mask before you reach over and help the person yeah. next to you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in a, I'm in quite a similar position where I, th I think it, it might just be, and obviously I'm not going to assume that we're the same type of person, but I think there's some similarities in that there's, there's a need to, you know what's what's the point in putting out books what's the point in publishing other people's work okay you're helping other authors that's an awesome thing that that can't be disputed but there's there's always uh, i mean i personally i, I launched uh, my own publishing company which is very very slow in building devil's rock um, publishing and part of what i'm looking at in the future is very very similar in terms of getting to a position in which i can find charities you know we contribute to each month yes bringing in certain types of talent that you know will help restore some of the imbalance within the world and really trying to give uh, authors who don't have the voice, the voice that they so deserve. Um, right. And I think having that, that having that higher purpose gives people like us that thing to strive for that then is a big part of that motivation as to why we do what we do. And it's, it's something that not everyone has or uh, aspires to get to, but it's something that, uh, you know, I, I, I personally am a person that I feel like if you're not working your way towards something greater then what's, what's, what's the point in living? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And I like, I really do feel like it's it's the difference between. I feel like most great artists 
have gone with that. Whereas opposed to whereas a lot of people have been very like successful, but they didn't hit that deeper resonance. They didn't hit mm -hmm. that deeper emotional need or connection because you can just sort of feel that there's not really anything behind it, that there's some maybe incredible technical skill in what they produce, but there just isn't that, that drive or that, uh, that fire behind it that really elevates it into something better that like really does last and stands the test of time. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't, I don't ever want to be one of those people. I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I, it would be such a, a weird purposeless life. And in, like, I would so much rather have a normal, mediocre, boring nine to five job and spend way more time with my family than hit that crazy level of financial success where I didn't have a a purpose or a deeper meaning behind it. Now, I, I will be honest, I wouldn't mind being crazy successful <laughs> if I also have that, you know, that, that extra something behind it. But it's just, I, I, I do find that people can tend to get so focused on, you know, just the, the numbers, uh, whether it's in their bank account or their subscriber numbers or whatever, that they just kind of lose track of like why they wanted to do it in the first place. Mm. And one thing that I do admire about a lot of, because I've been, I've been on a newsletter since, you know, before we last spoke back in 2016. And one thing that I do admire on the, in the way that you communicate yourself to your readers and to your audience is the fact that you are just genuine, you are just honest, you are just open with a lot of your opinions, your thoughts, how, how you're thinking. And yeah. particularly over the last few weeks with all the Black Lives Matter stuff, you've been so forthright with, with your opinion and the way that you think. And obviously then the people that don't fit within your community that have given some kind of backlash there, you, you have said, well, obviously we, we differ in ideals, good written to bad news and just and just moving forward and i mean i yeah. will i will go out and say you know just to clarify i do support the black lives matter movement wholeheartedly um but yeah i've seen i've seen you do a lot of a lot of that and that transparency i think is one thing that definitely resonates with a lot of the people that do follow you and do and do see all the stuff that you're doing yeah i you know i think that's really important i and i i and i it's always important for me to also stress that like i don't think anybody is wrong for the way that they conduct themselves, their business and their online presence. Right. I mean, just as, as one example, um, one of many possible reasons and examples is a couple of the people that I work with, they have severe uh, anxiety and other issues that like, they, like they would be, there would be a wreck if they were arguing with people online or if people were being mean and nasty to, to them online. And so if those people want to steer away from, from politics or ever speaking up on political issues, including political issues that they themselves are deeply affected by, like racism, transphobia, or whatever, you know, that's fine. And so I'm never going to say that, like, anybody else must do it. But for me, um, it's important to me that, that the people who follow me, who read my books, that they, that they do know where I stand. And also because I want I want my, my, you know, more marginalized readers, my more marginalized audience to know that I hope they can consider me safe and that I will listen to them if I do something wrong. Because if you're not out there with that message, you might be more palatable to people whose political opinions differ from you 
right? If you are one of those people who are like, I don't talk about politics online and I don't, you know, I mean, basically that I don't talk about politics online, then if like me, you're, you know, much more uh, left-wing, um, right-wing people might be more comfortable with you. And so you might get more right-wing, uh, right-wing audience members and all that sort of thing. But you might actually be alienating left-wing uh, people who would otherwise like your work because of the content. If you don't speak up, then they're like, okay, but like, why isn't he speaking up? Why isn't he saying anything about that? And and looking at, again, a guy like me, they're not going to assume, oh, um, you know, if I, was a, if I was a trans author, they wouldn't be like, oh, she's probably not speaking up because, uh, because she just doesn't want to get the extra flack and the attention that she would already get just because of who she is. They look at me and they're like, you know, which they don't because I speak up about this all the time, but they're like, why isn't he speaking up on that thing? Is it because he doesn't like people like me? You know, and so by being constantly outspoken about it, I'm not only like letting certain audience members know that like, hey, if you, you probably are not going to like my books if you have like strong disagreements with me on these issues. So that's just the first thing. And then beyond that is like, no, hey, you over there who doesn't get enough attention from this genre and this industry, I see you we're cool and I'm not cool with these, with these things that are going on that are like negatively affecting you and negatively impacting your life. So that is a big part of, you know, again, that sort of like purpose behind the work that we were talking about. Yeah. I no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's difficult because you, it's hard to say what the right decision is, particularly when it comes to your business. And right. if you're in a position in which you might on one, on one hand be pushing away some of your readers because of political views or outside of the fiction that you're writing Right. Is that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to say that gamble because it can be quite a, quite a challenge to, to, to do and to decide what is the right thing because you don't know until you've made that decision. And by then it's, it's too late to call it back. But I think yeah. when you're in a position like you are where, you know, it's, it's stuff that you truly believe in and, and your heart's in it. I think that speaks volumes when you're communicating newsletters. And like I say, I read them every week and they're, they're always super interesting. And uh, it's, it's good to see more of, yeah, because I think you get a lot of authors that they'll they'll do the flowery like, oh, here's you know my breakfast I had, or I went on a walk. But it's always for me, I always connect more with the the authors who just give more of themselves. If that makes sense. Totally. Mm. Yeah, and I I I I think that one other thing that's funny about this is that. Um, you, there's always going to be a certain percentage of people who are like, well, why don't you just focus on the story? Why don't you just focus on your books and the stories you're trying to create? Like, isn't that what's most important? And what's amazing is that it doesn't matter how much you focus on it. If you do speak on a more hot button issue, to a degree, that is going to be all you're known for. So I have spent over the over the years, I have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads and Amazon ads to sell my books. And they just talk about Lauren and they just talk about the magic dagger and they just talk about this expansive fantasy world and these cool authors and the reader reviews. That's all the ads talk about. And then I make one fantasy, uh, one, one post on Tumblr about how the fantasy genre in, in publishing treats women and that gets shared by millions of people and creates this <laughs> massive sales swell that, you know, I'm just 
literally me in my house, I'm physically shipping dozens of signed books every single day for like three weeks straight. And people are like, why don't you just focus on the story? And I'm like, dude, I've been working the last three years trying to get Amazon and Facebook to tell you why you should care about my story. And you never heard about me Mm -hmm. until I talked about misogyny. Like, that's not my fault. That's the internet's fault, you know? (laughs) Just the nature of the the World Wide Web. I do do just want to, uh, because I'm aware that we're running up to time, I do just want to switch gears a little bit and try and Jump back a bit into serialization, just because I'm I'm hugely interested in this. I think uh, I mentioned briefly in the, the email exchange. I'm so obviously your your approach is to serialize and put on Patreon and then publish the final thing to Amazon. Yeah. My my current approach is to serialize through Patreon and Amazon, but prioritize uh, basically early access chapters to patrons and obviously give all the good stuff early. So when winter comes, which is my current book that I'm working on, which should be released by the time this episode is aired. Um, Ooh, dialing into that Game of Thrones. Well done, you. Mm, mm, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you know what? That was actually a complete coincidence. It was literally wasn't until about two weeks ago. I was like, oh yeah, that's why it's familiar. But, uh, oh, son of a gun. That's son of a gun. That, that should work out well. Um, but no, so the so my my approach is each chapter goes up onto Patreon. Um, each completed episode goes up onto Patreon and then my patrons can download the final full thing, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ahead of when I will relo- when I will, when I will launch the completed episode on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've not done before. It's something that I'm trialing. It's something that I'm basing off of another author's model, uh, a guy called John Cronshaw with his Ravenglass Chronicles. Um, nice. who it's, it's a, it's a fantasy series that has done, it's done quite well. Um, but the approach is, because obviously episodically you end up writing quite short episodes. The first episode hits at 30,000 words to avoid hitting the short story categories. And then every episode thereafter comes in at about 15 to 20 K. So interesting. Yeah. You then funnel all of your, uh, obviously marketing into that first book and then whatever comes after whatever category the other books are in, it doesn't matter because that first book hits the right category. Um, and I am interested because obviously you have some experience in doing this. So I'm interested to see how, it works practically. I, I mean, I don't have big expectations. I'm just kind of open to see what happens. Um, but it was interesting to see you sort of flat out Amazon isn't the way to go. Um, well, see, as you, as you say that, um, that is the sort of thing. And, and this is one thing that I really have to rein my brain in on because that sounds like such a good idea that I want to do it. But then I think for five seconds more and I'm like, that would not work with my writing style and the way I like to put out my books. Mm. So like, I want to do it very badly. And if that, if, if you enjoy telling stories in that format with like the sort of like the 30,000 words, like for me, 30,000 words, when I think about it in terms of story is not the way that I like to structure things. Like I'm, I'm either going to go for 10 to 15,000 or I'm going to go for a full 80,000 word book. And when I think of 30,000 words, I'm like, yeah, but what does that even look like? But (laughs) especially if that is what's working on the algorithm right now, that sounds really fantastic as long as you are making plans for the long term. Because Mm. the, the first thing that I think of is you're like, okay, so it goes above 30,000 words to avoid being categorized as a short story. Next month, Amazon makes short stories 35,000 words or 40,000 words. And then all of a sudden, your whole thing kind of collapses. So the one thing that I would say is that 
if that's working right now and if that's a successful model that other people are doing and you enjoy writing in it, just, oh man, just like, you know, pump that water pump, just milk that mm-hmm. cow. Um, but keep pushing people to Patreon because that is so much more long-term sustainable. Yes, yes. And again, if every, if every author out there could have a Patreon of $5,000 a month, oh, what a wonderful world we would live <laughs> in. You know what I mean? God, we would all just be so happy. And like Amazon ads, sure, I'll give them a shot. But if they don't work, I'm not going to freak out. And every time Amazon changes the algorithm, we wouldn't have 15 author Facebook groups that we're a part of all screaming that the sky is falling. And you know what? They're right because they've built their whole thing on an algorithm that is, you know, like I I literally don't, I, I, I have taught myself for my own mental health to stop paying attention to what the algorithm is doing and stop paying, well, to a degree, I, I don't serialize <laughs> because the algorithm hits you so freaking hard. But like, I don't put myself in categories to try and hit a bestseller tag. I put myself in epic fantasy and dark fantasy and fa- general general fantasy, depending on the series. That's all I do. I don't go for, you know, the sub, sub, sub genre so that I can get a number one bestseller tag. I don't pay attention to my sales rank. I don't pay attention to my sales number. I pay attention to writing. And when I do run ads, which I have like a couple of ads going now, but I've scaled it way, way back, I pay attention to ROI. I don't pay attention to spend or try to scale them up. I'm just like, cool. What am I spending? Am I making more than that? Good. Do I turn them off? Do I do, do I increase them? Like, what do I do? And mm-hmm. like th- that for me, and I focus on growing my email list. That's, that's it because you know, the email list is just like the greatest thing ever. And I've got 15,000 people on it. And when I say, Hey, I've got a new book out, they go and buy, you know, like, and that's, that is so much more stability and security. And it, when I was algorithm chasing, I was just, I was even more freaked out. Like that constant turned on feeling you're talking about, it was, it was three times as bad. And so I do just try to focus on like production and everything like that. And if you've got a cool new project and if you're serializing in that new way, that's fine. But all of my serializing and all of my publishing is right now pointing people towards my email list and Patreon. That's it. That's all I want from them. I want them to buy the book. I want them to sign up for my email list and I want them to become my supporter on Patreon because if those three things happen, Amazon can never touch me. And if we, if we are vulnerable to Amazon, then we, as an indie publishing industry, we have not graduated from the publishing gatekeepers that we were all trying to get away from in the first place. Hmm. No, absolutely. I think it'll be interesting to see what the results are and I'll, uh, I'll be sure to drop you an email and, and let you know how. It goes, oh, please do. Like I said, it sounds super interesting and my brain just wants to do it, but I have mm. to be like, no, we've got a good thing going. <laughs> stay, on, stay on target. Just, absolutely. just watch him do it. I'm sure it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Well, my, my, the big problem with me is I write horror and horror is very, very hard to put into a series because people yeah. die. Um, so, so this is hopefully going to try and be some kind of antidote for that. Um, but I am, I am trying to be respectful of your time. And like I say, we're, we're coming up short at the minute. I do have one main question before we go into our Patreon questions. Uh, oh, yeah. And that question is, why do you, Garrett Robinson, write? Ooh. Boy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I don't know if it's just me, but like, you know, I feel like writers get asked that question all the time. And I, I feel like every time I get asked that question, it just blindsides me. Um, I guess I just write because I love experiencing stories so much. And I just want to do that for other people. And I, 
I see these stories and these narratives in my mind and I, I, I really visualize them. And when I put out a story and somebody else talks about it and they really understand it in the same way that I understand it, I guess I write because I'm a fan and I'm creating things that I would be a fan of so that I can have other fans to talk about them with. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay, so into my Patreon questions I was going to say round then. It's not a round section. <laughs> uh, I have some questions that have been sent over from my patrons over at www.patreon.com. Speaking of Patreon, forward slash right. great writer share. And the first one is from Yanni Jade, who says, you're currently releasing your novel in episodes like the previous books. What are the pros and cons of publishing this way? I know we've covered quite a bit of this, but are there any that stick out that we maybe haven't discussed? Yeah, um, I actually think that the big one that uh, we haven't talked about enough is that I love writing this way. It's just so great. Like when I'm putting together, I, oh my God, I just finished the first draft of this week's episode. And so the book that I'm writing is going to be eight episodes. And this episode is episode seven. So uh, I, I know we mentioned it, but did you actually watch Game of Thrones? I did, yes. Okay, do you remember how in the early seasons, the, the, the second to last episode was always the best? And then like the last oh, episode yes. just kind of wrapped up the season. But like, you know, spoilers for Game of Thrones, but like season, uh, season one, episode nine, freaking Ned Stark dies. Season mm. uh, three, episode nine, Red Wedding. Like episode yes. nine was the shit. And then episode <laughs> 10 was sort of like, okay, now we're getting ready for the next season. Yeah. That's what this is like. This episode is just like, oh, and I can't, wait because i have people every time i put out an episode every friday i start getting the emails and i start getting the messages in my discord server and they're like what how could you do this to me oh my god <laughs> you know and this one oh man it's gonna hurt people but then it's gonna pull them back and it's just gonna leave oh boy and this feeling that like what you can hear in my voice right now, that is my favorite thing. My favorite thing of like these five chapters are just going to hit them right where they live and they're <laughs> going to love me for it. Like, you know, I really love making people emotional and I don't, I, 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 and you know, I know that, you know, writing horror, you probably feel differently about this, but like, I don't particularly like making them feel bad or scared, but I do like bringing them close to that. But then I like bringing them back with like, I'm all about happy endings. I'm all about like, and then they win and the good guys win and it's <laughs> good and honorable. And I love people to just like finish the book and be like, yeah. And I try to do that to a degree with every episode. And so like, that's my favorite thing. I, that is, you know, like all the pros and cons from, from a business side, that's fine. But when I'm writing stories this way, it's so much easier to sit down every morning and be like, oh God, what are we going to do to him this time? I like, I love that aspect of it. Oh, definitely. I think the, the accountability for me as well so far has been the, the biggest oh, thing yeah. because I think you get to a point where if you're just writing the bigger works, you're like, oh, I'll just take a couple of days off or oh, I'll just move some things around. But with this, it's like, no, no, people are waiting and right. <laughs> you have to get the words done. Otherwise you're failing them. So it's a good way to, to maximize your output and actually just keep putting products out there. 100%. It's so cool. I, I really love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, HB Lion asks, do you have any tips for balancing writing with YouTubing? How do you fit it all in? Yeah, so I've uh, I've I've gone back and forth on methods of doing this. Um, I'm pretty sure when we talked in 2016, I was doing three videos a week. Um, I had to scale that back because it was just unsustainable. Another way that I track myself is um, I have an hours log, like I mentioned before. But I also uh, I used to I used to do this a lot more. Now I have my hours log formatted in a different way where I don't need it as much. But I would put. Um, 
my activities on my Google calendar and I would color code this. So yeah. So writing was green and YouTube was yellow. And I looked at my calendar one day and there was so much yellow. It was like more than half yellow. And I was like, dude, I'm not a YouTuber. Like I do YouTube to talk to my readers and writing is always going to be more important. So I scaled that back and, um, I definitely don't, if people want me to be somebody like a Lindsay Ellis or a Sean or an H bomber guy who puts out like these incredible videos that are just beautifully written and well shot and edited and structured and everything like that. That's really not what I'm about. Um, they write these incredible video essays that I am utterly captivated by. And to be honest, I would love to create them, but it takes so much time. They only publish one per month and it's, they're all full-time YouTubers. That means they're working on one, one or two hour video per month, all month. And I just, I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for me, what I, what I currently do now is the first week of the month rolls around a new month. I just, I just did this last week, June rolls around and I plan out four videos for uh, a video for every Friday in June. And I take a look at like anything that's releasing, anything that's coming out in June, any special deals that are happening. And I craft a video for each Friday and I script them all. And I sit down and I film them all and I edit them all and I schedule them to release throughout the month. And then I don't have to touch them again until July. I'm not going to YouTube again until July because June's videos are all done. And so all of June is just writing. And so the first week of June, I didn't write. Uh, Not the first week, but the first like four or five days of June, I didn't write because I was doing YouTube. And that's fine. Um, You know, so like that's my balance now, but that is a constantly evolving process and it might be different soon. Would your, obviously your process would change if you were working a full-time job and trying to YouTube as well. But do you have any advice for anyone that might be in that situation trying to balance both? Um, If you, if you're in that situation, don't edit. Perfect the skill of turning on your camera, talking, don't say, um, keep Mm. your thoughts coherent uh, and then just publish it. Like in the, in the overall uh, time breakdown of YouTube, uh, writing scripts for me is about uh, 15%. Filming is about 10%. And editing is like 75%. Editing and publishing is like 75%. So if you don't have to edit your videos, if you literally just turn on your camera, talk for five minutes, and then upload it online, you've eliminated such a massive amount of what you're doing. And it can be done and it can be interesting. It's just a skill you have got to develop. And I have never developed it because I edit. And I like my fast, edit, heavily edited videos. I like that style. But there are lots of people out there who don't need it to be that way. And if you just want a log of your thoughts and, and things you want to say to your audience, sit down, talk to a camera for five minutes, take the video file and upload it. I, I can't see a way that I could have a full-time job and write <laughs> and make YouTube. I, I could not do it. No, I, I can't imagine it. Uh, awesome. Thank you for that. So we're going to go into the quick fire round now, which is the much anticipated oh, 10 yes. questions I'm going to hurl at you. And I think uh, I'm going to put it out there. I think you were the first person that we ever did 
the quick fire round with. Um, I'm going to have to go back and I will put a, a disclaimer in the show notes if that's incorrect. Okay. But I'm, I'm like, I am 95% sure. I remember having a talk with Luke and going, should we do a quick fire round? It'd be quite fun for this one. And you say that okay. you remember it. So <laughs> I, I, I do vaguely remember it. It's been, what a four years it's been, but yeah, I think so. <laughs> and this will be the highlight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, feel free to pass at any point, but are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. Lauren or Theron? Wow. Oh, Lauren, if you could boy, visit... you hit me real hard right out the gate. <laughs> oh could, man! If you okay. could visit one of your fantasy towns for the day, which would it be? Ooh, the High King's seat. Oh man. Oh boy. Yeah. Yes. Can boy, you I'm like? Hold oh, on. No. <laughs> Twinkies or Snickerdoodles? Snickerdoodles. Only because I wanted to say both of them. Who was the yeah. last writer to make you laugh? Oh, Terry Pratchett. What are you currently reading? Uh, Throne of Glass. What's your preferred drink of choice? Oh, uh, Guinness or whiskey. What's your catchphrase? Have I mentioned I write books? <laughs> Christmas present you wished you got but never received. Oh, pass. I get kind of everything I want, which makes me sound super <laughs> spoiled, but it's actually because I'm a very simple guy. <laughs> uh, what's the longest you've ever held your breath? 45 seconds? If I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Awesome. Ask 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about you and all that you're working on? Hey, underrealm.net. Underrealm.net. You got all the books. You got my books. You got the books I've published by other people. We just realized that though we have merch for sale, we have never actually put it on the <laughs> site. So we're going to fix that real fast. Um, but yeah, underrealm.net. That's where it all happens. Definitely check some of that stuff out. I, uh, I've read a couple of your books and I've got to say they are fantastic. So anyone who's interested in fantasy and all that good stuff, get involved. Go over and find it now. Um, and Garrett, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been an absolute blast catching up. Dude, Daniel, thank you so much. This was a blast. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by Bram Stoker nominated Gemma Amore. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare. Until next time.